The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you are not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Thank you so much in advance. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Super Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In... This issue, Superman smashes a site in Secret Society. Yara Floor gets some disappointing news. Stranger Things meets Ravenloft, and we all get caught up in the draft. We're for the punching and the kicking and the leaping of the tall buildings, so expect lots of the major spoilers wonder to which you've become accustomed. Strike up the band, crush all your cans, spray paint the vegetables, and put her in neutral, because the major spoilers podcast Somos Las Perdedoras. Y esta en el Welcome to issue 914 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. We are going to be talking about Superman Smashes the Clan from DC Comics a little bit later in the show. Uh, but yeah. first, uh, why don't we jump into some news? Oh, I'm not scrolled up. The rumors. <laughs> it's okay, because it's really exciting. So the shouting was appropriate, because the rumors that Yara Floor was headed to the CW, sadly, is just that and i'm angry according to dalen rodriguez who has a fabulous name uh who wrote the pilot script for the series the cw has passed on the project boo wonder girl was to be a one-hour drama based on the dc character created by joelle jones who's actually called wonder woman but fear not moriara floor is on the way in the upcoming pages of infinite frontier uh which is coming to dc comics soon Steven, I'm angry. I'm sorry that you're angry, but it's also not surprising because they're calling the series Wonder Girl. It's got yeah. somebody who is not Donna Troy. And, uh, Nor Cassie it, Sandsmark. And nobody knows who Yara Floor is because literally, as I was trying to explain earlier this week, the reason why you haven't heard of Yara Floor is because DC just launched Future State last month. And you guys are reading the DC Infinite uh, comic subscription, which is six months old. So there's no re- there's no surprise that this didn't go anywhere. They did the same thing with that act with Aqualad with mm-hmm. Young Justice. They mm-hmm. had like announced this comic and he was already in the Young Justice book. Yeah. So, uh, yes, because Young or Justice the... was supposed to premiere earlier and then Jeff mm-hmm. Johns wanted the created by credit. So he like shoved him into a comic that came out like two months before the cartoon. Did. <laughs> nice. Yikes. So what, what were you hoping, Ashley? I mean, I was just hoping that the show was going to exist. Um, mm. The Arrowverse 
in in my opinion, has not been as exciting as a whole. Preach. Preach since it. Since Arrow went off the air. Now, I'm still, I am here for Black Lightning. I am here for Legends of Tomorrow. I am excited by some of the changes they brought to Batgirl. And because Yara Floor is like literally brand new out the womb, there's a lot less baggage that comes with this character. And there's more possibility to carve her out a unique and special and powerful place in the Arrowverse. And also, the Arrowverse as a whole has been dancing around Themyscira and Wonder Woman and Amazonians for a long... We have literally mm-hmm. seen Themyscira twice from a distance. Uh, so this just for me, I, w- I was really excited to finally hit on that because like Nightwing, it's something that's been teased for so freaking long. It would have been great to pay it off. And I know Yara Flores only appeared in two issues, um, but I talked about both of them on the, this podcast and I, yeah. I'm really enjoying what they're bringing. So I just think it's a bummer that they passed on it. That's here's all. here's my guess. Here's my guess. There's a better place for Warner Brothers to carve out a niche for Yara Floor. Wonder and that is three? And that is, well, no, probably not. Uh, but it might be on the HBO Max streaming service. You know, uh, they used to have that that uh, DC uh, streaming service where they introduced things like Swamp Thing and Titans and some other stuff. What ended up happening? What ended up happening with Swamp Thing? Yes, it only went a season, Back but then what? Ha- well, and then what happened to it? People liked it, and now HBO is like, what are people contracts looking like? It is now on the CW, and people are loving it on the CW. So yes, they did cancel that sooner, but here's an opportunity for Warner Brothers to say, okay, let's take this show. Yes, still Berlanti and everybody doing their thing. Let's get it on HBO Max. Let's pump up those streaming numbers, and then a year or so later, we can sell it off to the CW so that they can run it as like they're doing with Swamp Thing. That's going to be my guess if they're if they actually move forward with this in any way, shape, or form. Streaming first, broadcast second. I wonder if the lack of established character and stories might have been a downside for CWTV because everything they put on has essentially drawn on lots and lots and lots of comic lore. Yeah, hmm. oh, I don't know. It's just a thought. All right, let's talk about something else. Okay. Okay. Even though the pandemic kept most of us at home and stores closed, 2020 was a good year for Wizards of the Coast. According to the earnings report on Monday, total game sales for 2020 was $1.76 billion, (laughs) up 15% from 2019. Magic the Gathering made up the biggest share of the company's sales, and along with Monopoly represented $561.2 million of the fourth quarter alone. And... It, it's been well known that both Magic and D&D uh, had their best year ever. Yeah. Uh, Magic consistently has their best year ever. They've had like their best year ever every year for the past like four or five years. But uh, this was one of th- this was definitely D&D's best year ever. Yeah. Now, they didn't mention uh, Dungeons and Dragons specifically in the earnings report as one of the big sellers. They did mention mm-hmm. it as one of the things that that Hasbro has is in their game. A catalog. What surprised me was to see Magic the Gathering, considering in 2020, all of those tournaments, all of those store things all had to be shut down. And so I'm wondering if a lot of this also came from Magic Arena. I'm I'm sure a lot of it did. So there's there's a few things. One, uh, you can't stop nerds from buying Magic the Gathering. Well, that's true. Although um, Rob was mighty sad this last year. Yeah, it's it's tough when when part of what you like about Magic the Gathering is the social aspect. Is the gathering part? Um, 
Yes. Um, but Magic <laughs> really? Arena is uh, continues to grow, and in fact, I'm I'm an example of someone who got back into Magic in 2020 because I didn't have other stuff to do, um, and got into Magic Arena. Like I had some friends; they wanted to get into Magic, and I was like, "Well, Magic Arena is the easiest way." And here I am, completely hooked again, uh, just like clicking my mouse like I'm playing Warcraft. <laughs> uh, I sat down and started watching a three-hour game stream of somebody playing Magic Arena, and then mm-hmm. about an hour into it, I was like, oh no, I'm not going into down this alley of uh, jumping into another card game that is requiring me to buy packs online. Uh, oh, so yeah. I quickly backed out of that uh, game stream and, and shut it down. So, But uh, good, good, good for Hasbro. I'm glad to see that uh, this is going to propel them to new heights in 2021. Uh, you may have seen the Boba Fett teaser that we posted on the Major Spoilers Twitter feed yesterday, but now we know what Marvel and Disney are planning. It's called War of the Bounty Hunters. It's going to feature a work from Charles Soleil and Luke Ross. It's going to focus on Boba Fett on a crime epic where he goes up against heavy hitters in the galaxy. Uh, it appears to take place after the Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back ended with him having Han Solo in Carbonite. This series starts with him not having Han Solo in Carbonite. Han Han, who's got the Han? Is it going to be Jabba the Hutt? Is it the Black Sun? Is it Darth Vader? Who knows? We're going to have to wait and find out when Star Wars The Bounty Hunter Alpha number one arrives in May of 2021. And then that uh, Bounty Hunter saga will spread throughout all of the uh, Star Wars titles. So, you want to make me happy? Give Han Solo to Crime Lord Shizor. That's a deep cut for nine of you, and you're welcome. So. Wrapping up the news, I never get to do this. Finally, this week, if you're a fan of the Marvel Champions card game, like I know I'm not, Fantasy Flight because you haven't released. played it. It's an awesome well, game. that's not the point. Who's he going to play it with? You can't play games right now. Actually, I don't know anybody. Uh, let's let Matthew finish, and then I will go uh, uh, gush on this game. Then you'll just, okay. So Fantasy Flight Games, the creator of this game, released the Quicksilver hero back at the start of this month. That's uh, hey, just bye. in time. Played by uh, probably Evan Peters. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just in time for his appearances in the Wendavijan show. And it's now getting its way into the hands of the gamers. We also know that the next hero to join will be the mighty Star-Lord, uh, a.k.a. my friend Pete. Using the leadership aspect, players can find new leadership cards to build their decks. And since there are Guardians of the Galaxy Synergy Unlocks, I think we have a good idea who's going to be coming after Mr. Quill makes his appearance later on this year. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games. uh, I have a lot of ups and downs with them. Sometimes I really love the stuff they put out. Sometimes I get really frustrated by the stuff they put out. Uh, But I have been very pleased with Marvel Champions. It's a um, semi deck building game where you play one of the heroes of the Marvel Universe and um, you have set cards that go with your hero. But then you can take on an aspect. You can take on a leadership aspect, a protector Mm -hmm. aspect. I forget what the other two are. It's red, green, blue, and yellow. Um, and then you mix up some general, some generic cards, and then you go up against the Red Skull. You go up against uh, the um, the Wrecking Crew. You go up against, you know, you, you name it. They have all these really cool villains. The cool thing is, Rodrigo, you most definitely can play um, Marvel Champions by yourself. It's got a, it doesn't have a steep leaning, uh, learning curve. Um, there's a couple of really good videos online of people playing these. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty fun game and you can go with the pre-built deck or you can build your own, but I'm kind of excited to see if they're going to do the entire guardians of the galaxy team or not. The, uh, Ashley, they did already release, um, 
um, Scarlet Witch uh, mm. as previously, just like most recently they did Ant-Man and the Wasp and Doctor Strange and Hulk. And of course, you've got a bunch of other Avengers in there as well. So <laughs> I'm just talking about which the Ant-Man and which Wasp, <sighs> not the movie versions. It's uh, it's whatever it's the, the current Scott, comic. Him and Janet. Scott and Janet. Yeah. I don't think it's I don't think it's Scott and Janet. I think it's the um, it's. It's definitely Scott. Uh, I don't know if it's Janet or if it's Hope on the Wasp, but it's definitely Scott in the Ant Man role. Yeah, maybe that's it. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you would you would know. You've been you've been playing that game like crazy. Oh yeah, there, there, yeah I'm Matthew. a huge fan. Yeah, I, I love know. that Fantasy Flight games. Yeah, no, no, go check them out. Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited to see what the what the uh, what the cards are. Let me see. Let's. Where are the hero packs? The hero packs. The weird thing. The one thing I don't like about the Ant Man, and I don't know if the Wasp does this. Yeah, the Wasp does this too. They have the the card that basically is your regular size card, but then it opens up so that you can be giant, giant man, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and so you got a double size card, but you don't really have a way to protect the card, right? You can't really sleeve it unless you're going to be right. putting it in and out. Uh, yeah, this is Scott Lang is the Ant-Man and yeah. uh, for um, for the Wasp, which mine just came in the other day, so I haven't opened that one up yet. It is uh, Nadia Van Dyne. Ah, okay. So there you go. Nadia the all new wasp. The all new wasp. Nadia means hope. Is that what it means? I thought it was the yeah. S symbol on Superman's chest. Anyway, listeners, join no, the conversation yeah. about these stories and more over on our Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free, or you can link your Patreon account to Discord and get access to even more features. And you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash major spoilers. If you're just dying to jump into the Discord server right now, Look in the show notes, look in the link. And if you have your mobile device, just look at the show notes. You'll see the link to the Discord. Click on that. It should open up your Discord app and you're in. And you can get all sorts of welcomes and and cat gifts galore. Find out more. Majorspoilers.com. All right. Let us do. Cat gifts galore is my favorite Jane Fonda movie. Oh, really? I thought that was the the worst James Bond villain. Cat gifts galore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's two good jokes in one night Stephen. matthew you what's going on we had the, the the valentine's day this past week dc got in on a little bit of that action with dc's love is a battlefield number one uh that's what's true. what's going on with that uh, did, did well, love finally strike no promises no demands uh heartache to heartache they stand in the dc universe 80 page giant 999 uh, DC's actually been doing these these seasonal big anthology books, and I, I'm actually kind of a fan of them because it always gives you weird kind of off-brand takes. This issue starts with uh, Christos Gage, who I basically know from X-Men and Avengers Academy, doing Batman and Catwoman. But rather than you know your standard issue Batman and Catwoman story, they've gone undercover at the wedding of Maxi Zeus. So it's a, a Catwoman story with her boyfriend or boy toy matches Malone accompanying her. And it's all matches uh, Batman's criminal alter ego having to operate undercover surrounded by all of his worst villains. And it ends with a really nice romantic moment. It even, you know, addresses the whole elephant in the room, not the literal elephant. That's uh, Mr. Elephant from the 60s TV show. But they talk about the wedding briefly and they have a nice romantic moment and even joke about how maybe they should have more dates as matches, if you know what I mean. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, 
I'm less enamored of some of the other stories. There's a Wonder Woman story where she and Steve Trevor have a whole uh, Defiant Ones moment where they're accidentally frozen together by the blue snowman. Um, not so much a fan of that, but I'm also not a fan of the Diana-Steve pairing, which probably helps. Um, one of the best stories in the issue features the romantic pairing of Amanda Waller and Perry White. But as you go through the issue, you realize that this is just story after story, and so many of them are really cool stories that you're never going to get more of. So on the one hand, really cool stories, and on the other hand, that you'll never get more of. You know, we see uh, Avery, the Flash from China, being in love with Kid Flash. Avery Ho, we love! I love Avery. Her costume's amazing. And she has a crush on Kid Flash. And of course, the pièce de résistance, perhaps the my favorite of the stories in the last three or four of these is this kind of almost an oral history of poison Ivy and Harley Quinn's relationship. And it does not shy away from it being a relationship. And it ends with elderly Harley and elderly Ivy about to die. But Ivy reminding her that they can turn into plant versions of themselves. And even though they'll lose all their memories, they can have another life together making it just straight right out there in front of you. They are a couple. They are my one true pairing. And for that reason, three and a half slices of meatloaf for Love is a Battlefield. It would help me to know if I stand in their way or if I'm the best thing they've had. But as Pat Benatar was once heard to say, yippee, yippee, ya, ya, da, da. Good book. I would recommend it. All right, cool. Uh, Ashley, why don't you tell us what uh, Jean Lu- Luan Lang- Yang is doing this week over at First Second? Yeah, so I thought in companion to some Rand Smash of the Clan, why not more Jean Yang? Because he's a genius. He literally got the MacArthur Genius Grant. He's a genius. It's right there in some, his name. Some governing body said so. I have no idea who gives that out. Probably somebody named MacArthur. I'm not American. Uh, American-born Chinese is has been out for a number of years. This is a beautiful new printing from first second. And something that I learned when I started to try and collect independent comics uh, with a more critiqued eye, I actually learned from Matthew Peterson. And he said, if it says first second on the cover, it's going to be good. And that's Hooray! true. And American-born Chinese is very, very good. And it is a contemporary both adaptation and mixing of a classic Chinese fairy tale, fable, myth, however you like to think about it. It stars a young uh, Chinese-American boy. He's first generation. It's about his, you know, struggles and his stories being in America. It's a little more on the nose than the story we're going to talk about later, but that's definitely what's thematically tying uh, it together. And he is visited um, by a... Uh, offensive caricature named Uncle Pejorative. Uh, I, well, I can't say his name. I will not say his name, but it's a nasty name um, who represents all of the broad um, Asian and Asian American stereotypes. And so this figurative character comes up against a real boy. And then in dueling narratives, we see how our protagonist comes to terms with his identity as a young man and as an American. And it's really moving. Um, I read this not too long after I had come to the States. I am a Caucasian person with no discernible accent. So my experience is a lot easier 
uh, than a lot of people's, but the immigrant journey of this really touched me. And this is also one of the many graphic novels that Gene Yang draws himself. And mm. there is something so deeply charming uh, about his art style. I can't recommend enough if you like his superhero work to go and check out uh, some of his indie stuff, some of his more autobiographical uh, work. And I think American Born Chinese um, is a really good place to start. I also love that the title is ABC. And here's a fun story. Um, I was speaking to him about this book, and he said that one of the number one questions that he gets asked at conventions is if he's going to sell a plushie of Uncle Pejorative, because he is sort of this cartoony, cutesy caricature. And he goes, I try to take it as a compliment because they like the book, but it hurts a little bit that they miss the point entirely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I encourage you uh, for a second has done a really nice, this is their new soft cover. It was only a hardcover for a long time. Check out American born Chinese. You'll be uh, a smarter, better, more enlightened person for checking it out. Um, and then go read the rest of his catalog, work your way forward until you get to Superman smashes the clan, which is also really, really good. All right. Spoilers. <laughs> Thank you for that, Ashley. Does see? I'm trying to look and see if I've got a review copy sitting around here. It's weird because I type in American Born Chinese into my search engine, and uh, it instantly comes up with uh, the Superman Smashes the Clan uh, piece that because uh, it's that probably we're in his bio in that right. It, it so probably funny. is. It probably is. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I'm anyway. also pretty sure it's won a bunch of awards. So if you don't take my word for it, check it out. For oh that. no, I definitely definitely want to see it. But I wanted to make sure that First Second hadn't sent us a review copy at some point over the last couple of years and I just tucked it away in a folder somewhere. So there you go. All right. Uh, Rodrigo, Archie comics. We don't get enough Archie comics talk here at Majorspoilers.com because a lot of the times they're just republishing old stuff, but that's not the case in jumbo comics digest three seventeen. Actually, I don't know that it isn't the case. Oh, really? Um, the last jumbo comics that I read very prominently said that they had a brand new story. That's what, that's what the, I thought the solicitation with this one was when I put up the uh, sneak peek, uh, today, okay. I guess one right. said a new Archie, what is it's done in the classic Archie style. Yeah, it must be this, this must be this first one, but I, I feel like the last one made a much bigger deal hmm. of it. Um, so Archie Digest, lots of Archie stuff. Like I've said before, um, it's lots of fun to look through and guess what time period this, um, any given story was written. And you can usually tell by Archie's pants. That's yeah. like the most, um, <laughs> the best way to tell, right? It's like, um, there's like three measurements, basically his ankles, his knees and his waist. And depending on how, or, you know, like that sort of like mid mid cat or mid uh thigh kind of situation and depending on what's big and what's small um is is what year you're in right um i looking through it of course it's all done in the archie house style so it's 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 kind of impossible to be like well the art here is good and here is not so good because it's all pretty much identical there are some old there are some old stories where like Betty and Veronica don't have that. Uh, what's that really prominent uh, Archie artist? Um, uh, Dan Dan Parent is the latest one, probably. Yeah. Um, oh, now my brain has completely. So blank. so there's this there's this look for Betty and Veronica where they have kind of like a a little roundy nose. Mm -hmm. um, prior to that, they looked like original Barbies. 
Know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it is weird. That's probably like the biggest change in art from any two stories. Like Archie has looked the same forever, right? And so has Jughead. Mike DiCarlo but, is who right. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Right. But Sorry, Betty and what? Veronica, like that's that's another way that you can tell because old Betty and Veronica were very much drawn with like sort of like big almond-shaped eyes and um tiny tiny noses before they kind of settle on that like more cartoony and really more close to like everybody else kind of style so that's kind of what's fun about the the archie uh digest there's a there's a great one where uh, archie finds a prize in a cereal box and he can't he doesn't know what it is and he keeps asking everybody and everybody guesses and then there's like a little twist at the end about what it actually turned out to be it's it's cute um one thing that I that I think about, and especially in this one, as I was flipping through, because again, I didn't think there was an original story, is I feel like Archie Comics was kind of putting out stuff like this for a very long time, kind of flying under the radar for most of us. And then uh, Life with Archie came out, and that was a huge hit, and that led to Afterlife with Archie and the reboot of Sabrina um, and all that other stuff. And I wonder why they don't sort of like cross pollinate that why there are no like ma- like why there isn't like a sneak preview or something right why why isn't there something done in the style of afterlife with archie or life mm-hmm. with archie or something granted people who pick this up aren't going to want to be uh, aren't going to want to see jughead turn into a werewolf and eat his friends but there's something there, right? There's something that potentially can be done, especially if they are soliciting new stories. Um, it it seems now that there's kind of a gulf, right, between the the Archie stuff that's coming out in sort of like your standard like superhero style comic book books and your digests and things like that. So I don't know. I don't know what what can be done there. But I was flipping through this and thinking like. There's these big titles that have been big sellers for Archie, and it's surprising that they're not trying to either move people. It's like everybody's already familiar with this type of Archie. Why not mm-hmm. point people who are picking this up to be like, hey, there's some brand new stuff uh, from Archie Comics. Uh, just a just a thought. I'll give it three slices of meatloaf. It's cute. It's fun. It's Archie. Yeah, most definitely. Good times. With the Archie gang, I think it's the first story as I was looking through the issue. I think it's the first story is yeah. the uh, is the newest one. I, I think you're right. And that's that, that story is cute. You do get to see the Archies jamming on stage, which is mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's the Jughead uh, that kind of gives it away. It kind of looks like the Jughead from the Riverdale show. Oh, new sexy yeah. Jughead. Yeah. That's actually how you can tell if it's a modern Zach Archie and story. or Cody. Yeah, he's got no <laughs> pants on. Yeah. yeah. So that's it's it. big flare pants, seventies, uh, big mom jeans, nineties, no pants, modern Riverdale. There you go. Yeah, All right. Uh, this week I picked up stranger things, D and D crossover. Number four. Many of you may remember that I reviewed stranger things, D and D crossover. Number one. And I said, What's the point of this series? I don't understand what they're doing here <laughs> in this first issue because it's all about, hey, did you guys know that there's this Dungeons and Dragons game that you can play? Here you go. Go check it out. And I just thought it was the like the weirdest sales pitch ever to incorporate in a uh, into a comic book uh, since the time that Spider-Man and the Kool-Aid Man teamed up to take down uh, the Scorpion back in 78. 
But anyway, I haven't read issues two and three, but I did read issue four, the final issue in the series. And now it kind of makes sense. The whole point of Dungeons and Dragons being part of the Stranger Things um, uh, storyline is not that, oh, let's plug this game and talk about the game. It's look how this game has shaped this group of friends and has helped them through difficult times. Now, the very first issue took place before the first season of Stranger Things. This issue takes place right in between the um, last episode of Stranger of uh, Stranger Things, where all the crap went down, and then the epilogue where um, Will is moving away. So this takes place right before Will moves away, and they're going in and having one last fight, uh, one last campaign together on the last day, and they've got new friends that they've brought along uh, to play in the D&D adventures, and of course it's, you know, big and epic, and Will gets to... Uh, gets to uh, GM the game instead of play in the game. And it's, you know, it's bitter and it's sweet and it's basically a big goodbye. And then at the end, Will is a, is going to basically toss away his Dungeons and Dragons books. And uh, everyone's like, well, why would you throw them away? He's like, well, I figure if I ever play Dungeons and Dragons again, it'll be when I come back to visit you guys and you guys will already have the books. And they're like, no, how about passing along the magic to somebody else? Why don't you donate the books instead of throwing them away so other people can enjoy the Dungeons and the Dragons? So I kind of see, you know, kind of this whole thing about how Dungeons and Dragons is a game that builds lifelong friends. And look how it's uh, created this solid friendship among all of the kids in the Stranger Things universe. Still kind of feels a little bit like a heavy handed sales pitch, but it's two nine or I'm sorry, it's three ninety nine. So it's not, uh, you know, it's not super expensive. And if you are a huge fan of Dungeons and Dragons and if you really love Stranger Things and want to see how those two mesh together and you don't mind a little bit of a sales pitch, then, you know, I think that there is a charming little story to be told inside these pages. Um, it's still it's a little weird with me just because of the sales pitchy nature of it, but I get what they're trying to say. I'm giving this three and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. It's It's not the worst thing that I have read this week. It's it's hard to think of like something else where the pitch for the for the thing is like there's this product and the characters use this product and that's somehow like a, like a like a plus like mm-hmm. other people who use this product are going to want to look at this yeah. like I, I can't think of anything else except maybe like the talk boy recorded from recorder from like Home Alone two <laughs> like that's the last time that I felt like. This movie is enhanced by this product placement. Yeah. Well, there was Superman meets the quick bunny. I mean, so there I is, wanted quick after that. Yeah. Um, you know, Jody Hauser has been writing a lot of the stranger things stuff. So she brings that to the table. Jim Zub has been doing all the D and D stuff. So he brings, you know, that part to this tale. So the two of them working together, I think works well. Uh, plus apparently I didn't look to see if in my copy, there is one of the characters, um, you know, the Stranger Things characters that they created for Dungeons and Dragons. I was listening to Jim Zub in an interview where he's like, oh, yeah, I had to roll up all the characters for the comic book so that people could, if they wanted to play Will's character in Dungeons and Dragons, I had to roll that up and figure it up using the original source material, etc. Um, so there's that. I mean, it's it's fine. It's fine. The weird I think the art is a little weird. Um, Diego Galindo uh, does the art. Uh, I think it's a little weird because it's like. What's that? Uh, what's that uh, cartoon show you like, Matthew Archer? Mm-hmm. So imagine Archer without the heavy, thick lines, but looking like real people. Mm-hmm. So it's—I'm it, not saying that they just found frames from Stranger Things and traced people on there, 
but it kind of looks that way and it's very flat because they're using very flat colors and not a whole lot of shading. Right. So it's really weird looking. It's like an archer, you know, a, I don't know how Is to it? describe the art. It's, it's not like your, it's not like the, uh, Fumiyami, uh, comics, but it kind of felt that like that. Right. Fumetti. Fumetti. That's what I'm saying. That's what, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Fumetti. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure I've just insulted a bunch of people by saying Fumiyami. I'm sure that doesn't mean uh, something, well, I know something I'm nice. Offended. Yes, I'm hi, sure hi, you are. Fumi, yami, yumi. <laughs> <laughs> so three and a half slices of meatloaf. It's it's okay. Um, and I think if uh, if you're heavy into both of those those properties, you probably already bought the comic and are saying, "But Stephen, I loved it. Good for you." In fact, I've even put a link in the show notes if you would like to go and buy your own copy over at Comicsology.com. So there. Um, let's see what else is going on over at Major Spoilers this week. You're getting a new Legion Clubhouse episode. We are looking at uh, Jim Starlin. I don't think this is his first tale of uh, Legion of Superheroes, but it certainly is a really good one. very first tale of the Legion of Superheroes. Well, then, see, you've got that going for you this week, coming up on the Legion Clubhouse. Uh, Dan is into top five this week to talk about the top five games to play with a deck of cards. Uh, Wayne did a fascinating interview with uh, Mike Kennedy and Caleb Thusat. I think is how you say that last name. Over at Critical Hit, Big 313 shows up and caused all sorts of trouble. And then, of course, don't forget Geek History Lesson, where this week they did a deep dive into the history of uh, Ashley's favorite character, Ahsoka Tano. I love her. So, and one other thing that Stephen may not know about, he is the person who inspired this week's 10 Things. Are you sure? Because yeah. I, have, I have nothing to do with tulpas. No, you're the one who inspired it, man. Stay with me. Okay. All right. Uh, you can find out more about that over at Majorspoilers.com. But in the meantime, if you want to listen to all the Major Spoilers podcasts, and I mean you really do want to listen to all the Major Spoilers podcasts, then just do a search in your podcast uh, search engine for Major Spoilers with the plus sign, and you'll find all of the shows right there. You think I'm joking. I seriously I, changed. I don't think you're joking. I think it's hilarious that you have committed to this bit. I have, I have changed the entire name of the stream to Major Spoilers Plus, and you can find it. And uh, listen to all of our shows. If you want even more shows, and you know, Flashback is coming back very, very soon, like in a couple of weeks, I want to say. Oh, God. I know, right? The Flashback podcast will come. It is an exclusive show for our patrons over at patreon.com slash major spoilers at the silver level and higher. Also, at the silver level and higher, you get access to the GM Roundtable, which um, is a show that we do once a month live in our Discord server for our patrons. So this is one of the reasons why you want to link your Discord and your Patreon accounts together. Uh, But someone sent out a tweet this week, Rodrigo, uh, saying that, hey, I just ran my first fate game, and I owe all of the success that I had to listening to the advice coming from the GM Roundtable. Oh, that's great. So there you go. You want to go and check that out. You can only get it over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. All right, this week, let us jump into not only one of the most interesting Superman tales that you will read this year, or maybe last year if you've already read it, uh, but one of the more important uh, elements of Superman history, especially when it comes to the Superman radio drama serial, which was uh, ran from like 1941 to 51 or something like that. Um, This is based on uh, the Clan of the Fiery Cross, which ran in 1946. 
Uh, this is a fairly good adaptation of that story, uh, but you know, uh, Gene Yang expands upon that in this story. In the Superman and the Clan of the Fiery Cross, uh, there is a Mister Lee who moves to town, and his uh, and his son um, uh, Tommy uh, wants to join the baseball team, and he is a better pitcher than the uh, other kid, and he gets uh, kicked off the team. And he goes and tells his dad. Goes and tells his dad. Turns out his dad is part of the clan, and uh, the clan get involved trying to t- chase uh, the Lee family out of town. And Superman gets involved. There's some kidnappings. There is a very, I think, telling reveal at some point in the original radio drama, where uh, the father of the of the baseball kid is going to meet the uh, I forget what he's what the name is in the radio drama, but essentially the Grand Wizard. They call of, him the Grand Scorpion in the comics. Oh, the, so I would yeah, assume so it's I'm the sure same. it's the yeah. same. Yeah, the Grand Scorpion, and he's like, "Yes, we are going to go and do all this stuff." And the the Grand uh, Wizard is like, "What are you? What are you doing? Why are you trying to bring the police and the and the uh, Superman down on us? Uh, this is one of our biggest uh, uh, membership drives right now. Do you realize that every uh, piece of literature that we send out, uh, we charge our members for, and every cape and every hood we charge our members for, and all this. This is a huge money making opportunity for us, and you're screwing us over. And it really just in that one episode of uh, the Clan of the Fiery Cross, it really just shows that the Clan doesn't care about anybody's ideals except for uh, making money off of hatred. And I think that they kind of that that uh, scene does play out in this comic as well. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other stuff that's that's added in this, Ashley, that is that is not found in the audio drama. Now, I don't know how many of you have listened to the audio drama. I have. You have, Ashley, Matthew. I'm almost certain I have, but it's been years. I used to listen to uh, radio dramas for a living, so Mm -hmm. Um, I've never I've never heard it. I would go to the archive.org where they have all of these classic old time radio uh, dramas, including the Superman shows, all of them. And at one point before the copyright uh, hounds uh, started nipping at my heels, uh, before finally Friday, this was about a year, year and a half ago, I was running all of those episodes for the 15 minutes before the show started so people could listen to that. Uh, but I would, I would definitely recommend, if you can track it down, to listen to it. I would say that there are still some, even though this is tackling uh, the Klan and tackling uh, racism in America, there's still a lot of really uh, uncomfortable bits in the mm-hmm. radio drama that don't sit well today. And I've talked about them before. Uh, one of them is Perry Grant has a young Filipino houseboy, and I forget what his name is, like Pepe or something like that. And uh, he has a very uh, heavy accent uh, in the moments that he's in the piece. Um, so you'd be aware of there's some of those moments in the piece. But overall, the 15 or so episodes uh, tell a very powerful story. But Ashley, it's what it? Oh, go ahead. Poco, that's it. Um, uh, Ashley, what is the um, what's what are some of the big changes that we see in the comic book versus the radio drama? Oh, the women are allowed to speak and be dynamic, compelling what? characters. What? <laughs> well, we do get the adi- addition of Roberta. Now, Roberta is a new character in this piece. She's perfect. I want her to be in the main continuity and to be John Kent's girlfriend. <laughs> we also get uh, there's a little bit, and I don't remember. There was a. Um, a series of the Superman tales that ran, I want to say like four chaps, four chapters or four story arcs before clan of the fiery cross that had something to do with an atomic smasher guy. I don't know if the main villain that uh, starts out in the beginning of this story was based on, on that or not. 
He's Adam Man from the 1950s serial, the first Kirk Allen serial. Okay, um, so this would be after Clan of Fiery Cross then. Right, but there's actually reference in this story to him being a prototype Adam Man, because if you actually watch that movie, Adam Man in that movie is Lex Luthor. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, this... he's, he's based on that character from the film. So also something that was introduced in the radio drama, but not um, not during the Clan of the Fiery Cross, was kryptonite. So a lot of people are not aware that kryptonite was first introduced in the radio drama because um, Tony the Tiger had to have a vacation day. And so they spent an entire week where they just had somebody else going, oh, 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 because Superman was uh, had kryptonite tied to him and was thrown down in a well. And so that's how they got um, Tony the Tiger to get his vacation and also still do the voice of Superman. But- Bud Collier. Bud Bud Collier, exactly. Yeah. Tony the Tiger. Uh, but but Kryptonite Tony the Tiger was Thurl Ravenscroft, but I'm with you. <laughs> but um, uh, Kryptonite plays a big role in this, as does I think uh, Rodrigo uh, a big important tie. The fact that Superman is also uh, an outsider uh, trying to live among regular people. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's that's something that um, has that becomes relevant uh, like more and less depending on who's writing him and when and who's looking at uh, Superman's history. But, I mean, there's no two ways about it, right? Superman comes from a different planet, so in a lot of ways he's an outsider. He has different abilities than everybody else, so he's an outsider. He hides uh, his secret identity, something that most people don't do. There's lots of things that separate Superman from, quote-unquote, the rest of us. So um, he has these uh, feelings of alienation, which, you know, if you are uh, someone who comes from a different country, someone who doesn't look uh, the way that the majority of people look in a particular country, you're going to feel as well. Um, So there's a lot of common ground here between Superman and the Lee family. Yeah, most definitely. And I'm, I'm wondering, I don't think they spell it out in the book. But I think that it's implied that Superman is having a radical reaction because he starts to see himself as this kind of slimy green alien and mm-hmm. visions of his parents as slimy green aliens. And I can't help but wonder if that is his reaction to the fact that he looks like an average white person and the Lee family, you know, obviously are Asian and don't fit in with common America. And if he and if that is Superman's reaction to like, oh, my gosh, I really am an outsider and this is how I how I'm viewing myself. It's uh, it's it's Superman's internalized racism. Yeah, I think it is, because if you if you really look at this and uh, something else that this story does that I'm not sure anyone has done before. And if they have, I don't know about it. Inspector Henderson, who was a regular character on the radio program, Mm -hmm. is is a black man. He's a person of color. Well, because over on Black Lightning, he's played by Damon Gupton. There you go. But uh, Inspector Henderson comes into this story and kind of gives it a different angle in that, you know, he's that authority figure, but you also get that, that moment of, I feel like the seeing yourself as an alien is at least in my read, exactly that Steven it's Superman kind of coming to terms with the fact that he's not just a, a regular guy. He, he may be able to pass, but he really is very different. He's more different than either the Lees or Inspector Henderson. And he's trying to come to terms with that. And for a while, I thought it was red kryptonite because red oh, kryptonite was... has weird psychological effects. Yeah. But 
yeah, as you go through this, where you're like, hey, look, it's Jor-El, and he's a, he's a bug-eyed monster from the 50s. You make them seem like they're terrifying. I thought they were, like, really elegant and like, nicely well, designed like, 50s aliens. Oh, no, they, they're, they're, they I look, mean, they're not they look scary. Cool, yeah. yeah. But they're not, that's not fun for Superman, right? It's like the yeah, character yeah, design yeah. in this is very good and very yes. appealing. But to Superman, they're very, they're, it's, it's a scary moment. Even though I literally wish that Kryptonians did look this way. Yeah. Yeah, I do, I do too. But you also look at that and you're like, you know, isn't that basically just the way the Martian Manhunter looks? That's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, the art in this is uh, by an artist called Guri Huru. Hero? Guri Hero is actually two artists. Oh, two artists. Um, um, all I got to say is the art in this is just fantastic. Just make this a movie already. I know. I I don't know. Yeah. They haven't announced. I, I would be, I would not be surprised if this is one of the future animated movies that Warner Brothers puts out. Mm-hmm. Um, there would be, it, it would be, it would be irresponsible and foolhardy to leave money on the table with as good as this story is. To yeah, be absolutely. also able to play up on the fact that this has its roots in classic Superman lore uh, in the radio show, as well as uh, trying to tell, in this case, the Asian American experience uh, with the Lee family trying to fit in in Metropolis. Um, yeah. It would just it would be a perfect you know no brainer for Warner Brothers to do it. And if they did it in this style, yeah, yeah, even better. Yeah, I mean, I mean Warner if, Brothers will screw that part up. If that if that Jeff Loeb run of Superman Batman is worth a movie. This story is absolutely worth a movie. Uh, Guri Hero is actually uh, Chifuyu Sasaki and Naoka Kawano, who are two Japanese artists mm-hmm. who work together kind of like, uh, I, mean, I know you've heard of Clamp, mm-hmm. which right. is a group Clamp. of artists. Yeah. But I also think that both the members of Guri Hero are uh, female, which is kind of interesting as well. I really appreciate, you know, seeing this art and going, man. That is one sexy looking Superman. And I'm not necessarily a person who's looking for a sexy Superman, but I'll be darned if that isn't one. He's a he's a very fine, you know, chunk of man. And that's that's really nice to see in a story where mostly in comics you get that male gaze. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit here of I won't say female gaze, because first of all, that's not a thing, and also that implies something kind of, you know, vulgar. But this is a very, very manly block-like Superman, and I really appreciate how it evokes the work of, you know, your actual 50,000-year-old Joe Schuster comics, but also makes it all feel really, really modern. And the shield yeah. is the actual 1946 blackback black, shield. Yeah. I mean, well, in fact, there's a lot of stuff that's retro in here, um, like Superman running instead of flying he's runs on the telephone wires or the electric I wires love that detail. so he doesn't so he doesn't uh, mess up traffic or anything which i think was a thing for a while in the comics it, if i'm not mistaken it was well the thing about it is as much as this book it's a lot of great things right of 46 mm-hmm. by 46 superman was flying in the comics but yes in those early that? stories the leaping and the the running across the the airline things was nice. And it also becomes, you know, he stopped doing that when it became the gimmick of another hero, the airwave. Mm. But you would see Superman running and leaping and literally leaping over the tall buildings. But another strong influence on this story that I love are the Fleischer cartoons of 42 yeah. and 43. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much uh, an inspiration here. The one yeah. thing that is a little bit different 
than the radio drama is Jimmy Olsen's character is downplayed quite a bit in uh, the book where he is a front and center character in the radio drama because the, this was an afternoon thing uh, with for kids to listen to. And so Jimmy Olsen was that kid, you know, sidekick kind of uh, view into the Superman's world. Uh, but I but I see here he's downplayed quite a bit in in this book. Well, there's less need in this story well, with the I, visual aspect for that cabbage head. Well, and I also uh, think that the reason why we can downplay uh, Jimmy Olsen is because we have uh, Roberta stepping up to basically fill that role. Yes. Actually has a really strong, and you know, we see a lot more of Lois mm-hmm. here, just front and center, Lois being kind of a force, a force of nature. But it does end with that that wonderful moment where Roberta and I can't remember what she uh, what her her uh, Chinese her name, name is. is. Yeah, what she, you know because like at the very end. end, something like that. But that's what she calls herself at the end when she's you know finally so I, I'm a cub reporter for the Daily Planet and she was luncheon luncheon. I love that. I think that's really nice. And you know, I had a weird discussion this weekend with my kid about anglicization and, you know, choosing names and renaming things. And she's like, why in the world would we have ever done that? And the only answer I could come up with was ethnocentric nonsense. And she's like, yeah, that tracks. But I love the fact that she is told you, you know, we're going to take the the new name. You have a new name, but she chooses to keep the one that she had and at the end, she you know takes control of her identity and has her own name, what she wants it to be. And I love that ending, even if it means not as much, you know, Jimmy Olsen. I'm fine with you know less Jimmy Olsen. I mean, he's kind of a Jimmy's a great a, character. But he's a good character it, in the it, in the radio drama. He's kind of just the ah, gee, Superman, what are we going to do now? And it's just yeah, like what, I, I could do less with that. What's nice about this Jimmy Olsen is that he's like an elder statesman among mm-hmm. the kids. Yes, and that's how he comes <laughs> off he's in like, the story. Ah, yes, as a as a ripe fifteen and a half year old, right? I, uh, I have been around the block a few times, and I've even met Superman once or twice. So, yeah, and it's like, yep, yeah, he, you know, he's he's uh, like Superman, and probably Lois's and Clark's um, sort of uh, like work ethic and and like um, morality has like clearly really rubbed off on Jimmy, right? Jimmy's always out to look to do the right thing. Um, and he serves as kind of that point. It's like when the kids are like, oh, should we should we do something about it? like Jimmy's like, yes, yes, we should do something about this. Everybody come on. Yeah. 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 So what are some things that you guys didn't uh, like about this book? Or is there anything to not like about this book, Matthew? Um, there is a scene that really bugged me, uh, with young Clark flipping out and going all bright burn with his heat vision, but it also plays well within the story because it plays into, you know, Superman feeling alien, feeling other and feeling othered by the people around him. And so I can accept it in this, especially when, you know, you play it against the alien tale story with the, the bug-eyed alien shooting laser beams from his eyes. But I always feel like any time you give me rage Superman with the glowing red eyes, I kind of go, eh. But I think Yang and Guru handle it really, really well, and it fits perfectly into what they're doing. But I think that's probably my biggest complaint about this book. I feel like 
it's hard to really tear this apart because it's so well crafted and so well researched. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted, I kind of wanted the the bad guys to double down on their on their badness um, because they really so Superman it, could punch them. Yeah, I mean, in the radio drama, they really go off and say some you know harsh things that are not. And I think it's it's probably appropriate for them not to say and and the phrases that are used not to say in the comic book. But I right. kind of, you know, there's only one scene of them. And again, trust me, I don't want to see burning crosses, but there's the one right. scene where they're burning the cross. But the clan of the fiery cross, one of their big things was uh, when they were scaring the entire town, uh, they were burning a giant cross on the hillside. And that's why everybody wound up in the uh, river and everything here. Of course, they burn it onto uh, the Daily Planet. Um, but I just kind of wanted them to do some some more bad things. They're just not coming off bad enough, I guess, is is my big disappointment. But otherwise, this book is really perfect. I think it's really, really good, really solid. Rodrigo, do you have some things that, that uh, you didn't care about this book? Um, I mean, it's it's really good from start to finish. I, I think there's some parts that like just kind of weirdly drag. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, um, hey, but, surprise, the radio drama had to go on like 15 or so episodes, and there was like yeah. two of them where they're just like, ah, I'm going to fly around and see if I can find young Tommy and Perry again. Yeah, I, and I and I think that's kind of what it is. Like, there are just times when we're just like checking in on characters um, where like that the character, like a new character or, or, a, or a character that has just come into the conversation needs to be filled in on uh, about what's happening. Um, but it's very minor and it's stuff that's clearly there for the sake of something later, right? It's like information that they're either reiterating for the, for the reader or, um, or just a little bit more character stuff. Um, so, I mean, generally I, I I don't really have any complaints about this, about this book other than that. Ashley, was there anything that you found lacking or that you didn't like about this book? Uh, not necessarily lacking, but like there are definitely a lot of things that are upsetting, but they are upsetting by design. I mm-hmm. think the scene where the Lees are moving into their new house and Mr. Lee's colleagues come to welcome them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they bring some treats and then joke about it not being dogs. So they hope they'll mm-hmm. still like like it's it's not even that that's like a pejorative, but just like the implication and the deep seated you know, hatred, but like that make, makes me like clutch my white lady pearls and be very, very uncomfortable. But that's well, but then also the aren't point, they... and that's the subject matter that we're tackling. So, right. but aren't those people that he's working with also like the clan, like the leader of the the scorpion dude is uh, the guy that comes and greets him at the door. Yes. And they're, uh, you know, they're um, funding the Nazi superhero up yeah. and at them, whatever his name is. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh, I'll say, so what is the bottom line then, Ashley? Is this a buy it, skip it, borrow it? What, what's the deal on this? Uh, so a few weeks ago on Geek History Lesson, we did an episode called uh, Best Superman Stories. Mm-hmm. And two of the three people put this on their list. So I am like, buy this in a Rush out in a buying frenzy, as Matthew would say. Buy it, buy it, buy it now. Buy three copies. Give it to your friends. Give it to your children. Give it to your grandma. I think this book is very special. Yeah, I would agree with you. This is a fantastic book. This is definitely a book I think everybody should have. Everybody should read. I I know we're talking about... We are not even going... I think we're just kind of skimming the surface Mm -hmm. on a lot of the stuff that goes on in this book. Um, But I think you get the idea that, you know, Superman is there to... 
to beat up uh, and and save the day and come to grips with his identity and uh, expand upon stories that have been told before in this. Uh, so I think this is really a book that is that earns all the awards that it's been given and deserves many, many, many more awards. And I think it's one that is deserving to be on your on your bookshelf. Matthew. Golden Age Superman was a hard case socialist who dragged a guy up and hung him off the side of the building for being a corrupt landlord. And I miss that in my Superman. And while this is not that, there's enough of that here and enough, you know, loving tributes to things like the Fleischer serials and the Kirk Allen serial, you know, ties to the actual bits of continuity. So, you know, if you're a fan of something like the chronological Superman, you'll look at this and go, Hey, this is neat. If you're not, if you're just a casual Superman fan, this is a great story. If this was your first comic book, I feel like this would be a great introduction yeah, just I from I agree a construction you. level. Just to, you know, sitting down and reading a complete story, if you get this trade and give it to somebody as their first comic book, I feel like you're going to have another nerd on your hands. And yeah, most definitely. This is a rush right out into buying Frenzy, uh, buy two, buy three, buy one for Ashley, buy one for Matthew. Mm-hmm. We'll give them to our friends. Mm-hmm. And you'll give them to two friends and everyone will, you know, give them friends and then we'll all have cool Superman. Rodrigo, you get the final word on this book this week. Uh, Yeah, Uh, there's a lot in this book that speaks very earnestly to the sort of immigrant condition in the United States um, and and just kind of works his best to not only portray it honestly uh, say with like Roberta interacting with like other Chinese uh, people um, or with uh, Roberta and her brother not seeing eye to eye about how to like basically perform their Chineseness in front of their friends, um, but also does does something that's like very admirable, which is that by assigning Superman as an immigrant uh, puts it in terms that like a white dude might understand. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is God's work. Um, <laughs> so, so I would say, uh, I would, I would venture another, uh, uh, pick this up in a, in a buying frenzy, um, and, you know, show it to your dad. There you go. All right. Thank you, Rodrigo and Ashley and Matthew. And thank you, dear listener, for being part of the major spoilers experience this week. That's where we're going to wrap it up this issue. As always, we love your feedback, unless it's about me speaking high school Spanish in front of a native Spanish speaker. I have enough service about that myself. But use the comment section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this the show, this comic, and this episode. Or even better, you can send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And we're going to be back next week, general topic, which means all these people better bone up on their trivia. Uh, You know why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Fat Dick's revision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! 
away If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.